Welcome back to the Bible Reading Podcast. I am your host, Brianna Shelnut, and I am sitting here with the awesome, with the amazing, with the ever-loving Nessa Goss. I am so excited to be here, Nessa. Are you excited? Yes, we are super excited because it's been a while and we're just... It has Glad been to be back in the saddle a again. while. <laughs> it has been a minute. We yes. have been on break for a full month. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. For good reason. Yes, for good reason. Praise the Lord for all of you keeping up. Yeah. I am now a mom of two. Praise God. Little Judah Woo-hoo. Evan was born. August date retracted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we are so happy to have him here. And he's actually here in yes. the recording room. So if y'all hear a little cry or a wah, know that it is not me or Nessa complaining. <laughs> it is. Or guests. Or guests. They want to be here. Yes. <laughs> Everyone wants to be here. It is me and little man just, you know, hanging tight, yes. hanging in here, but it's going to be good. Yes, it we is. have so much stuff planned for the fall. We've got new guests coming. We're in our new recording room. I'm feeling it. It's going to be good. And new mm-hmm. Bible topics. And you guys are just going to, you're going to have a ball. So we're happy to be back. We're happy to have taken the break. But before we get into everything that we've got for you guys today, Lisa, how was your week? It was good. We're just moving along. Fall is here already. So I know it's, it's busy season again for you. Yes. Um, kids ministry never stops. It never stops. <laughs> no. we're, we're holier than y'all because we do kids ministry <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we're excited. We're, we've got two new guests with us today. Mm-hmm. Nessa, who are we sitting with today? We have some two amazing men of God, Sam Hilton and Tony. I apologize. I don't know your last name. Wiggly. Wiggly, Tony awesome. Wiggly, and Sam Hilton. Yes. You guys, welcome to the Bible Reading Podcast. Did you know that you guys are our first best friend duo? Yes. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have, we have Which yet- Which are best friends. Too. Yes, we are. Yes. <laughs> We are. So this is great. This is going to be a very buddy-buddy episode. Yes. We're going to have all the feels. <laughs> um, but yes, today our topic is a is a serious one, but we picked the best of the best to give their testimony and go through their story. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I think you guys are really going to be blessed by it. It's oh, a yeah. topic we've wanted to cover for a while and that we're finally getting to do. Um, we're we haven't even started yet, but we are seriously so blessed to have Sam and Tony here sharing their story. Um, it's going to be good. And as always with our two-part episodes with our guests, it's a two-part episode. So if anything sounds unfinished or, oh my gosh, I want to hear more, just mm-hmm. know there is more coming. Don't worry about it. Yes. So today we are talking about addiction. Now, um, first we're going to hear these wonderful men of God's testimony, and then we'll go into the Bible and what it says about it. And it's just going to be good. So mm-hmm. whoever wants to start, go ahead. We're, yes. we're all ears. Take it away. So I will start. My name is Sam and, um, I, uh, I guess I, I grew up in a, in a normal home. Um, I, I had good parents, everything I, I, I had a hole in my heart at five years old, and I, um, my grandmother got the elders to pray, and it was healed completely. And so I've always believed in Jesus, but didn't really live it out. And um, I had, like I said, I had a good good family. Um, we uh, it was just we weren't in church or anything. My granny was the one that uh, prayed for us all and all that stuff. But uh, good, good parents, and um, they. Um, but my identity was like always my dad's. He was real popular, a baseball coach, one of the best baseball coaches in Marietta, and um, 
he was just like everyone knew him. Every every person in Marietta knew him. And so all my stories were of him, you know, it was never of me. And I guess I was kind of, I was popular in a weird way, like because of him, but um, very insecure, very uh, small and, um, and didn't really do anything bad until like, I guess the end of high school. And uh, we started drinking, uh, me and some friends. It gave me a lot of confidence. I didn't really care about school. I didn't care about sports. I got to where I didn't care about anything really, just hanging out and uh, being with them, partying. Um, and uh, so I, I started drinking pretty young, I mean, at high school, and didn't do a drug till I was 30 years old. Like, because mm-hmm. um, of a hole in my heart, I thought, um, I thought I'd die. My mom said I'd die if I did a drug. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of scared to do a drug. Um, and um, so um, scared to do a drug, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of, uh, oh, it was a real butthole. Um, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, but for some reason, it drew girls to me for being that way. And that's what my whole life was about, drinking and girls, mm-hmm. drinking and picking up girls. I found, I don't know, I guess it boosts my ego or whatever mm-hmm. I was looking for. Um, didn't really care about school, didn't really care about a job. I just partied, partied, partied. And uh, then I got married um, because everyone else was getting married, so I thought I'd get married. That's probably the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't because I wasn't, I didn't, I just did it to do it. Um, the only thing we really had in common was softball and that's about it. And, uh, I guess about five or six years after our marriage, it ended because I started going back out with the guys going uh, to clubs and everything. And that's when I got introduced to ecstasy for the first time. And alcohol really gave me everything I needed, mm-hmm. um, everything I thought I needed, like uh, ego. And I felt like I was popular because of me and not because of my dad. And uh, it was just a real false identity. Um, And then we were going to a club and started, uh, and it was actually October uh, 30th. It was Halloween night. And we went went out to this club and someone had an ecstasy pill and... um, I just tried it. I don't even know why I tried it because I was usually scared to death of all kinds of drugs. I didn't do marijuana and nothing. And tried that pill, and it it was amazing, um, honestly. And so it, it got me so, so I didn't even care about girls anymore. It was just about the pill and hanging out with friends mm-hmm. and clubs. And, and, you know, I can remember one night we were at a club and actually um, – there was some famous dude there. Uh, he's in Ocean's Eight with Julia Roberts and all those guys. Yeah, George Clooney. And um, George Clooney was there. And I'm like, <laughs> insane, dude. Like, I'm this no no good dude from Oriole Lane. And now I'm here hanging out with George Clooney. You know? That's crazy. Yeah. And we're all just, I mean, 
and I don't remember much of it because I was so trashed, but uh, I do remember he was there. And um, but and then we were going out every weekend. I was married at the time too um, when I was going out, not to Chrissy, my wife now, but and I uh, would go out and stay out all weekend long and not come home, not call nothing, mm. and uh, and then I could go to work on Monday and all this stuff, and then. Um, one time there was no ecstasy and a buddy of mine had a, a little bit of methamphetamine and I took that and it was the greatest thing in the world. And I think I did it every day of my life for 20 years. Like I had some, I had some breaks. I went to a rehab for six months, but then came out and didn't get back into methamphetamine, but at church, I ran into a married woman, and that drug me down back into re- drugs again. Um, so it was like the women were my problem, but um, it always went to drugs, and then I'd get away from the women and just be back into drugs. Um, but like I did that for twenty years, methamphetamine almost every day. I never ran out. Um, I always knew where to get it. We got it for cheap or free, so it wasn't even like we were paying for it. I got into gambling real bad, Um, got married to Chrissy, and I would tell her, like, I don't even know what I'd tell her. (laughs) Um, I'd just tell her that it was weird. I mean, we had three people living at the house, four people, um, and we were all on methamphetamine, all staying up like for weeks at a time, mm-hmm. you know. And Chrissy was actually staying up, but she was doing drugs. I don't know how she was doing that. But uh, um, and it was just crazy. It was just crazy, every bit of it. Like my whole life was chaos, just pure 100% chaos. Um, got into gambling, uh, got into talking online to women all the time. Uh, just like it was just a flood of addiction, Yeah, you know. Like, it, it was crazy. Um, and I really wasn't thinking about quitting. And then my mom passed away. Um, and my dad already passed away 10 years before that. But my mom passed away, and she was like, I was like a scary mama's boy. Like, you know, <laughs> like 47 years old and love. Like, my mom's still taking care of me. I couldn't even take care of myself, but uh, it was insane. Um, and so with that, with her death, uh, you know, like I joke around about it, but it's true. Mine and Chrissy's relationship was, I don't know if you know Johnny Depp and... Uh, Amber Heard. Yeah. Their mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, mine and Chrissy's, but there's the shame. <laughs> <laughs> like that wasn't even, uh, that was cakewalk compared to ours. Mm-hmm. But, um, and we went through some brutal times, me and Chrissy. And actually, what changed everything was Chrissy was, she read Psalm 51 to me mm. after my mom died. She was like, this is nuts. We got to do something. So she's going to fix me. And she read Psalm 51 to me. And um, I almost saw, I think I saw a demon come off of her when she read it. Mm. And um, when I saw that, it kind of freaked me out. 
I was high at the time, so it might it might have been just sleep deprivation. But uh, but I saw that, and I um, and it really, it uh, I saw that, and um, I didn't change yet, but I I remember seeing that, and so I kept going out, kept getting messed up all this stuff. My mom's dead. I, I'm just wanting to kill myself, really. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to quit drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to a point where I really felt like I was going to have to have drugs to live every day of my life. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I'm going to be able to quit it. And God uh, showed me something a couple weeks ago. Me and my buddy Jason were going to get drugs one evening. And I came up to a red light or a stop sign. And I just remember bawling and thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, but I couldn't stop myself from going to get drugs. Like it was that, like the flesh was so overpowering. Mm-hmm. It was just brutal. And so um, I left the house one day and mind you, I did drugs for 19 years. I never got caught with it ever. I got pulled over a lot and like they like I was one of those people. If you saw me at this at the Shell station or, or somewhere, <laughs> you'd be like, "That dude's on drugs." You know, it that dude is tweaking. Yeah. <laughs> please yeah. avoid him. Ding 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 ding. But um, and so it wasn't like something like I was good at hiding, but I was good at hiding the drugs. Mm. And they would pull me over, they'd check everything and couldn't find it. Mm. And uh, and so Chrissy reads Psalm fifty-one. She changes. I'm coming home every three nights, four nights, you know. I'm trying to push her harder and harder away from me, really. Mm-hmm. And she's getting closer and closer with love and not anger anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'm walking in the house with Jesus there, and I'm like, man, this Jesus cat can't get away from me. <laughs> you know, he's pursuing me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I left the house one day, and I forgot that I had it in my pocket. And I'm driving a car that wasn't my car, but it didn't have a tag on it. Mm. But it had a tag. It had a tag. And I'm driving down the road, and a cop's coming the opposite way, like towards me. Oh, yeah. And we pass each other, and the craziest thing, like he turned around and came back after me, mm. and he pulled in the gas station. Saying, I mean, you know, I could pretty much handle myself with cops. I knew what to say. I knew the lines I could cross. I knew exactly like what to do. And, um, he's talking to me and I'm real confident, you know, got three guys in the car and, um, there was a little vial of glue in the passenger seat and it looked like cocaine, but it wasn't cocaine. Mm -hmm. Um, it was my son's Nick's and the cop said, what is that? And I said, I don't have a clue because I didn't know what it was. I was, and, he went and searched the car, so I let him search the car, you know. And I think on one of my other friends, he found a, a syringe and a jacket, and he's like, "What's this?" And the guy didn't, uh, the guy didn't own up to it, so he called me in the back and told me to uh, empty out all my um, pockets. And when I did, um, I had methamphetamine in my pocket. I threw it up on the uh, the car, and I. Um, I remember thinking, like, I'm free, mm-hmm. you know, because I've been telling a lie my whole, like, my whole life's been a lie. Yeah. Um, 
but my whole life was a lie up until that moment. Like that's the first time I think I ever told the truth in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I went into the jail and I was like, okay. Um, and when I went in, I mean, up until that moment, I, I really wanted to die. I just, I tell Chrissy, like I'm driving down the road. I'm just going to run into a tree as fast as I can and mm-hmm. kill myself. And probably the only reason I didn't do it is because I know God's joke would probably be me living. And so I didn't want to do that. But um, but so I went to jail and um, I was in there and I was like, God, you got to do something. If you don't do something, I'm going to do something. And uh, when I walked out of the jail, I walked out like I was a totally different person, like I'd never done drugs in my life. And... The way, where he showed this to me was um, my friend was still with me doing drugs, and we, I had to take him to the drug house because I had a landscaping business, and he was an employee of mine. So he had to do drugs to work, and I didn't now. And um, I went into the drug house, and everyone was smoking methamphetamine around me, but I was just sitting there like like a kid. Um and the drug dealer came up to me. She said, you owe me $250, but if you never come back to this house again, you don't owe me any money. She said, there's life in your eyes. All these other people are dead. Mm. And so you could see Jesus in me. And um, so with that, um, the other guest that you got here, my buddy Tony, I... He was actually in drug court, so he was clean. We were kind of clean for a second together, I think. But and I was telling him to come out to my house, you know, get away from that hotel. And he was like, no, I'm going to stay here. And I, and so he, I'll let him tell that story. But, but the one thing I'll tell about that is I, um, I would go by the drug house that he was at, and sometimes he'd be there, sometimes not. But when I'd see him, I'd be like, hey, you want to go to church with me? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, come back Sunday. I'll be here. And I went back like 17 times, <laughs> seven times, eight times. And I would be I would be deliberately gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't there. <laughs> and I kind of knew he wasn't going to be there. Yeah. But I felt like, and Chrissy's like, why do you keep doing this? And I'm like, because I'm trying to win people's souls to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And uh I don't know. And maybe I was probably just doing it for my own ego. I don't know why I was doing it. I felt like I was doing it for God, but um, the way it turned out, it wasn't for God because God had a different plan. So, and um, and so that's kind of my story. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, There's a lot to that, though. There's a lot that I can go into. Um, Like, there's, like, what probably got me into some of that stuff was when I was like five or six years old, not five or six, probably eight, nine, ten. I broke into my next door neighbor's house and uh, I didn't really break in. So he would let us go in. Um, he, we didn't have to knock or anything. He wasn't there. I went in. I knew he had Playboys. So I stole a Playboy, went underneath the house, my house and was uh, looking at it. And, um, and so that stuff kind of opened up the door for a lot, you know? Uh, yeah. And there was other, there's other things like I've had uh, experiences with a cousin, an older cousin molested me. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's things like uh, 
I guess, like when you're young, young, I had a guy friend that we did some things together, you know, it was kind of like two people just not really knowing what was going on. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're just kids trying to figure it out and we just were doing stuff. I can, I, I don't know if it's funny or not, but it is to me. I can remember going to school and thinking that I got someone pregnant, <laughs> a boy, you know, so I was mm-hmm. like, that's just. But that's how young I was, you know, that's how immature it was. It was very, like, so it was just crazy. And it um, opened the door to perversion. Oh, yeah, everything. Yeah, Yeah. and that's what, I don't even think I was addicted. Like, the addiction part came from girl, like, just wanting to make myself feel good. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. see how many girls I get, and that would, right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's probably, that's basically it. That's all of it. And there is, like I said, a lot more in, involved in that, but that's pretty much it. Well. And so that leads up to Tony's everything. part. Yeah, yeah. Tony, mm-hmm. like, it all goes together. <laughs> so where do you come in in this story, Tony? Tell us. <laughs> I'll just, um, I'll kind of give my history of uh, my whole story. Yeah. Um, I'm 52 years of age, and of those 52 years, the first 50 were a nightmare. <clears throat> Um, I was at the helm of the ship for those 50 years and, and I lived a very self-centered, self-seeking lifestyle. Um, <clears throat> during the developmental years of my life, being from like 3 to 11, um, I witnessed sexual perversion at the hands of an older female and older male. Yeah. Um, lost both of my grandfathers between the age of 6 and 7. Um, witnessed domestic violence between my mother and my father. But the, but the biggest problem of, of my past and, and the way I was raised is I wasn't raised in a God-centered household. Right. <clears throat> and if you're not raised in a God-centered household, the devil can attack your family. Mm-hmm. And we were no exception to that. So we were under attack. Um, I lived in fear of my father. My father was a provider, a good man, um, but it, it wasn't a God-centered household. household. So all I knew of... of church was uh we went on easter and then sunday school etc cetera, etc cetera. it was not really mm-hmm. um a very spiritual existence in terms of the household so growing up uh very exposed to sexual perversion uh, suffered loss and was in fear of my father so what that equated to was a very anti-authority rebellious self-centered existence so mm-hmm. coming out of puberty all i did with the sexual perversion part was i suppressed the part that i didn't like and i just expanded on the part that i thought was acceptable mm-hmm. so yeah. um hit puberty uh was exposed to alcohol at the age of 10 got intoxicated first time at the age of 11 so now i had uh you know something to make me feel good because, mm-hmm. you know, I was just had a, it, at the time a broken heart. I didn't realize what it was, but mm-hmm. so alcohol come into play. <clears throat> um, I did okay in school, uh, into high school, alcohol went, you know, that turned into marijuana and psychedelics and then cocaine eventually my senior year in high school. So I was hanging around people with, you know, like mindset that I had. So we were making really bad decisions. So I ended up getting in trouble with the law, went to prison a couple times and um, 
dropped out of high school senior year. Um, I realized in 94, 1994, that the decisions I was making were horrible, that I needed to do something different. And what that looked like was I'll settle down and get married. Mm-hmm. And what that equated to was just inviting somebody into my broken chaos. Wow. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So um, God did bless me with a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters. And there was a period of time there from – their birth till the age of six that I was kind of, I was plugged in as best as I could be being self-centered. I drank and I worked a lot, so I didn't mess. That's, you know, and unfortunately in the society we live in, if you have a job and you pay your bills, you can kind of slide under the radar with what you got going on. People really don't question that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I did that for a while. Uh, When my daughters were five and six, uh, I made the mistake of, bringing drugs into the household. My wife got involved and that was the beginning of everything, me losing everything that I've ever loved and cared about. Mm. Coming out of that divorce, um, looking back now, I just, I see the, the, the extent of my addiction because I got out of one marriage and got immediately into another marriage and had a son by my second wife. This one lasted five years. The first lasted 10. Um, got divorced from my second wife, come back to Atlanta, and the shame and the guilt from what I'd done to the relationships of my kids was more than I could handle. Mm-hmm. And I tried to deal with that, um, you know, medicating, thinking that I needed to get things together, and it was two steps forward, three steps back, and I was stuck in this vicious cycle of addiction. Um, <clears throat> me trying to figure it out on my own, that was never going to happen. I come back to Atlanta in 2008, and this is where Sam and I kind of uh, reconnected. We're doing methamphetamines, and we're just wilding out, you know, just porn and girls, and just it was just open chaos. I mean, the devil was just having his way with us. And we were living in and of this world. <clears throat> and uh, from 2008 till two years ago, it was just – a a downhill spiral. Um, It was methamphetamine to begin with for me, so I could always work. I just worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. That's how I started doing speed. Um, And then I got introduced to pain pills. Um, So pain pills, uh, they were were, were fun to begin with, but they got expensive really quick, so that opened the door for heroin. Mm -hmm. And then it was heroin and methamphetamine. And then I got, I uh, started becoming an IV drug user. So my life was going downhill fast. Um, never tried to get myself together. Never tried to sober up because I was so prideful and so, so so self-centered. I always thought that I could pull out of it. I always thought that, you know, in my mind, wow. as my life's totally out of control. So uh, I get a I get a drug charge in 2016. I don't want to go to prison for the fourth time. So as an alternative, I take drug court. Mm. Um, I think it's a get out of jail free card. I realized real quick it's not a get out of jail free court free card. They're serious about this. So I had to kind of tune in, or I was going back to prison. So I did, and I, and I started going through the process of drug court, and I started making good decisions. And God was in drug court, but it was kind of an open ended belief system, you know, they were not just Christians, they were all kind of people that had spiritual beliefs. So for me, that equated to God was a salve or he was a genie in a bottle because I was still self-centered. I was doing this. I was, the, you know, this was I, me, my, mm-hmm. I, me, my, um, I was the golden child in drug court and Sam and I, 
I was actually sober when Sam got arrested and went the, I remember the phone call he gave me. And um, so this all started around 2016. I graduate from drug court um, and the devil was waiting at the bottom of the steps mm-hmm. wow. with me and my certificate in my hand. And about two weeks later, he said, you know, you work hard. You, you can have a drink. This is the voice in my head. And I and I and I toyed around with that for about ten days, and I finally gave into it. And with a six hour with a six hour period of time, I went to drinking liquor, to doing meth, to heroin, and I got hit with Narcan. And I come back to my apartment, and my alarm clock kind of jolted me out of what was going on. So I I had some drugs. I, I flushed them down the toilet, and my natural defense was I need to work and. It, I need to get a job. So I'm starting doing math. I'm working. And then about six months into that relapse, heroin came back into the picture. <clears throat> and when heroin came back into the picture, I started shooting again. And it was probably about an eighth month descent into the total darkness that, that it was, it was hell on earth for me. Um, two years ago, tomorrow, October the 3rd of 2021, I was defeated. I was, I was indifferent. I was numb. I I was, I was in a place to where the thought of death seemed better than what I was living. And there was no thinking out of that. I remember rationalizing thoughts of, I wish I could just go to sleep and not wake up. Why can't you let me die and let everybody mourn my death and move on with their lives? Because I was convinced that I was never going to not do what I was doing. And I was laying in a hammock behind a house in Mableton because I couldn't stand to be in the house because there was so much demonic oppression on the house. It was that, and everyone there was on heroin, so I was sleeping in the backyard in a hammock. And I I remember laying out in the backyard, and I was looking up through the trees, and um, I was just, I was in a really bad place. I was just, it was... I was hopeless. And before I, before I fell asleep, I remember looking up through the trees and, and I said, God, I really need you right now. Mm-hmm. And I fell asleep. When I woke up, the first thought, conscious thought that was in my head was a voice and it said, you need to get up and get ready to go to church, which I did. And as I'm going through the motions of getting ready to go to church, mind you, I don't have a car. I don't know what church I'm going to go to. I don't even know if I have a clean shirt. But I'm going through these motions, and um, as I was walking through the house, when the guy said, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to church. He's like, yeah, right. Where are you going to go to church? You don't have a car. And at that second, I thought, what are you doing right now? And before I could even ponder that thought in my head, another guy walks in the door. Mm. And so there's a gray-haired guy at the end of the driveway looking for you. And I walked outside, and it was Sam coming up the driveway. And he said, man, are you ready to go to church? And I said, yeah, actually, I am. And we got in the truck, and I said, man, you're not going to believe this, Sam. I said, I I cried out to God last night. I really need you. When I woke up this morning, he told me, you need to get up and get ready to go to church. He said, well, you're not going to believe this. When I woke up this morning, God told me I need to come pick you up and take you to church. And in that moment, the power of God just knocked me senseless. I was awestruck. And, and and I was stunned for probably all the all the way up till the Blake house, but I'll get to that in a second. It was like God heard me 
And and he answered my prayer in such a way that even a self-centered head case like myself couldn't think out of this. I couldn't. It was no deniable. I, you know what I'm saying? He, he heard my cry from a hammock on heroin. And mm, so I told Sam, I was like, man, this is the real deal, dude. I don't. I don't ever want to come back to this house. Let me get some clothes. So I gave everything I owned to the people in that house. And we went to church that day and we it was here at Believers. We walked in on that Sunday and I was awestruck, terrified, knees weak. I was sitting in that sitting in those the seats up upstairs and it's like, man, what is going on right now? And uh Mark's preaching about selfishness and, and listening to the voice of God. And he, he just ties me and Sam into, into that sermon. And it's like, man, God is really doing a work right now. And when God starts to do a work in your life, you better hold on because he starts moving fast. He punched my ticket mm-hmm. from now to eternity and I'm still trying to catch up with him. So um, I, I told Sam, I was like, look, man, I, I need to go detox. So he took me to uh, Cobb Douglas detox. And so I checked into Cobb Douglas Detox, and and coming out of Cobb Douglas, Douglas Detox the next weekend, uh, while I was in there, I was I was I was just, you know, I was still awestruck. So when I was getting ready to get checked out for the first time in my life, I hit my knees and I said, God, you know, I don't really know what this looks like. I don't know what what following you means or even having, you know, a, a life with, with you in it looks like. But if, you, if you'll if you really just make it simple for me to understand, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Mm-hmm. So um, that night, um, go to church, and Chris is there, and he's like, man, y'all want to go to the North Georgia Revival? I was like, yeah, man, I'm game for anything. You know what I mean? I'm just <laughs> floating down this lazy ri- river of God right now. You know what I'm saying? Let's go see Jesus. So, and I had, yeah, let's go. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So we go to North Georgia Revival, and lo and behold, I'll go in there, and it's like angels are praying over me, and I'm just like, man, this is like surreal. So uh, Chris is like, you want to get baptized? And I'm like, yeah, I'll get baptized. And um, so – I go in the tank, and um, when I come out of that tank, Jesus was right there waiting for me. <laughs> and um, he took me by the hand, and he's been walking with me ever since. It was two years ago tomorrow. So I get baptized, and I'm, you know, the blood of the blood of Jesus is like that. It doesn't take any time. The healing's done. Your future's punched out. But one thing I've learned at the Blake House, depending how long you've ran from God and how long you've lived in that darkness, it's going to take that proportional amount of time for your finite brain to catch up to what's really going on. So That's so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I told Sam, I was like, man, I, I Sam, I know me, man. I, I don't understand what's really going on, but I know me. Mm-hmm. I know 50 years of what I can do to this. I, I'm a self-destruct just ruin everything that ever meant anything. So I was like, I need to get somewhere and I, I just really need to be with God. And I want to go to a faith-based program to where I can just, you know, just see what this looks like. So I, I applied for three different programs and um, God led me to the Blake house. <clears throat> and when I got to the Blake house, I was on fire for God. I was still on all struck, you know what I'm saying? But I was still a 50 year old self-centered deeply ingrained, hurt individual. So 
the first 10 months at the Blake house was a systematic of me falling head over heels in love with Jesus Christ, me undoing 50 years of bad decisions, me learning about forgiveness, me learning about rejection, me learning about being in my mother's womb, the disconnection of birth, me learning about grieving, me learning about um, what it looks like to be in the presence of God, to pray to Him, to be obedient to Him. Um, my beliefs changed, and and in that first 10 months, I stripped away 50 years of, of, of baggage, and right when I was coming out, I stepped into identity. And Sam and I were talking about this today. <clears throat> I felt like an alien mm. because I didn't know what this was. I didn't realize I'd lived so long with a hardened heart. Mm. When my heart wasn't hard anymore, mm -hmm. it was like I was an adolescent child again. Wow. And it was it was it was a lot. I mean, it wasn't in a bad way. It was just it was just so new to me. So uh I graduated the program, the residence part of the program, and then God told me, I think you need to stay and, and you need to live out what it looks like to have an identity in Christ and to, to put other people before yourself and to serve, to really serve. Um, the first part was remarkable, but when you lay yourself down and you allow Christ to work through you and you, you serve other people— mm -hmm. It's when you find your true identity, wow. and, and 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 I did in that second ten months, and and I asked God at that end of that second ten months, I said, you know, what does the future look like? He said, Well, I'll tell you when it's time for you to leave the Blake House. So I transitioned to staff, mm -hmm. and I'm the facilities manager there now, and I teach orientation, and I'll probably maybe maybe in the next inner healing class because uh, there's three different parts of the Blake House, but. Um, so I'm, I'm truly blessed. My addiction is, is, is horrible, but at the Blake house, those guys that come through that front door struggle with an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, there's so many people, not just the guys at the Blake house, there's just so many people out there going through the motions of day-to-day -day life with that same identity crisis. And, and the addiction part of it is just the end result of something that started way back when, right? you know, and, and, and it goes back to that not being in a God-centered household. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. God can take care of those things. And if, if, if you live with him at the helm, mm -hmm. you're able to work through those things in a healthy way. So mm -hmm. I'm truly blessed. I'm, not only did God, you know, take my life, flip it upside down, he gave me a testimony that's, that's, that's just, it's when I, when I, when I give my testimony, I, I remain super humble. Mm -hmm. And, 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 but when I give my testimony, I just see the impact of the Holy Spirit and the hope yeah. that, that the transformation that happened for me. And I just see that just people want that. Mm -hmm. And you can't put a price on that. You can't, you can't, it's, it's, it's not about money. It's not about a job. It's about, for me at the Blake house now, it's, it's, it's seeing those guys walk through that front door, just defeated and they're, they just don't have hope and they're just, yeah. and to watch them fight for their lives for 10 months mm -hmm. and to see that light come is, it's, it's amazing. God's amazing. Everything about him's amazing. And, um, that's my story in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. um, 
God is great. And I and I and I love God and I love Jesus and I and I love people and I love talking about him. I love giving my testimony. And this topic of addiction is is it's it's an epidemic. Mm-hmm. It's it's horrible and, and it's gotten to a point now that it's a God sized problem and it's gonna take God. And, and, and men of God and women of God and people, the church, to, to resolve this issue. And, and I'm up for the challenge on that. So. And to push back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like what you said about identity and how there, there's a fight and how it stems from brokenness in the home and it stems from childhood. Um, both of you mentioned very real, deep childhood wounds mm-hmm. and that, you know, pushed you almost into the addiction and pushed you into those problems. Um, And I like also that you said that, you know, your identity was found in those addictions for so long. And then once Jesus came, you were a new creation. Um, It's just like the Bible says in second Corinthians um, five verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Mm -hmm. I loved hearing you describe feeling new. Feeling the presence of God come over your life and be a part of who you are intrinsically. It, it's so powerful. And I love that. And don't be offended, y'all. But you guys are, you know, like two normal Joes off the street. Like you got and, and God showed up. Yes. For yeah. both of you and transformed your lives, transformed your legacy, yeah. transformed in like and continues to transform your lives and birthed new things in both of your lives. Um, and it's just so powerful. It, it's so powerful. That's a we have to get tissues for this table. I know. I've, I've, I've <laughs> and for the audience. Yes, I've, I've made a decision. <laughs> we have to get tissues for this table because. Man, like, thank you guys so much for sharing, yeah. for being open. Thing. Yes, yes, go ahead. We're not done. So, um, going. <laughs> so Tony and I grew up like one, two streets over, three streets over. We went to the same school, everything. We've known each other since we're like five children, wow. you know, and our parents were actually excellent parents. Yeah. Like they were, um, they both worked. I mean, my mom worked at the same place for 47 years. You know, they were both workers. They, they, they just, they paid the bills. My dad was a baseball coach, you know, for, I mean, 40, 43 years he coached little league baseball, you know, and, um, but our, our parents were like rock solid, but they didn't know Christ. There was no Jesus in the household. And that's, I think that's the key to, to it all. Like, no matter what happened to us, if we'd have been, if we'd have had parents praying over us and, and telling us, you know, I just think that would be a, a different, a difference in our lives, probably. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, the story about me going down there, like, Chrissy was getting ready for church early, and I was like, and, and I, um, I went, I was going to go back to sleep for 45 minutes because when you do methamphetamine, you stay up like for 19 years straight. So I love sleep now. Um, <laughs> like my favorite thing to do. And um, so I was going to go back for 45 minutes to try to catch up from some of the sleep. And that's when I heard God's voice say, go get Tony, you know. And the crazy thing is, like that's why I told you about um, me going down there so much. 
it was under my own. And even on the way down there, I was like, God, what do I say to him? Like, if he's there, you know, which I, I didn't even think he was going to be there really, but if he's there, what do I say to him to get him in the car? Like, how do I manipulate the situation? <laughs> you know, that's my thinking. And um, and it was just insane. Like I, like, I pull up. I don't have a story to tell him or nothing. I don't even know if he's there. Like, we don't have a tel- no telephone calls, no text message, nothing. Like, this is how it's like Red Sea part and moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. Um, and I don't even know how people can deny Christ with a story. Like, I guess it's the same way with Moses. But, um, <laughs> but like, it was just amazing. I mean, and I'm like, I hear the story and I still can't believe I'm a part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's that crazy. And I don't even know what the chances are of two human beings living that close together, growing up together. Getting strung out on drugs. Yeah, getting strung strung out on drugs. And then getting strung out on Jesus. Yeah. 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 What's the chance? Together, yes. It's great. (laughs) Within a couple of of years' time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, and our life was chaos. Like, it was total chaos. Like, before we got married, me and Chrissy got married, I mean, my house, was, like, it was insane. There was, it was just insanity. Like, you can't even imagine it. And it's funny because I know, like, everyone at the church sees me here. Mm-hmm. And they see me as nice and calm and maybe a little childlike. But um, Little do they know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. But... Um, but yeah, just that story—it's just unbelievable. Like I can't even. Sometimes I can't even believe it, and I was a part of it. Like I said, it's incredible. And that's just how it started. Yeah, it, yeah. it hasn't let up. No, mm-hmm. I've got twenty or thirty stories just like that since then, mm-hmm. and it, and it never changes. You know, the more you seek God, the more you find Him, yeah. and the more you want Him, the more He will deliver Himself to you. Okay. He will show up in moments every. His, the thing that is most powerful to, to me about my relationship with God is his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Regardless of where I am or what I've got going on, he's rock solid and steady, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, the, the, the story started off with fireworks, and it's been fireworks ever since, but they're good fireworks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. It's wild. I mean, like, we, um, my buddy Chris Lynham, I talk to him every morning, and, uh, I was like, Chris, like, I know you've been a part of this Jesus thing for a long time. Is this the way it always is? And he's like, nah, this is different, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something different about this situation, like all of this. Yeah. And I just, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. It's, I mean. It's I, like Jesus said, those who are forgiven a lot, love a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, the, the two situations are like the woman at the well and, and Legion, the demoniac. Mm-hmm. You know, just how grateful you are for a transformation that you want to tell everybody you know about that. Yeah. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Yes. To give that testimony. Just tell people about me. Yes. You know, the impact. Mm-hmm. And not only that, when you guys do speak of him, like you said, you are humble. And that's one of the biggest things that touches my heart. Like when Pastor Mark is preaching and he gets emotional because he's talking about Jesus dying on the cross for us or something. When you just see men of God that are emotional because of Jesus and how much he cared for them, that is just, it's, it's different. Of course, women are powerful too, but when it's men specifically, it's, it breaks down 
so much bondage i feel like so thank you guys for (laughs) just coming and sharing your hearts because it's just amazing it's incredible and y'all thought we just talk about babies (laughs) yeah babies are great we can talk about babies (laughs) we're babies now we're babies and cry (laughs) well i love it it was amazing Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Tony, for blessing us today. You guys are awesome. We are going to have you guys back next week. I I mean, I don't know. We we might do something crazy. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see, but it's going to be great. Um, Thank you guys so much. Uh, We did. um, Let's close out in prayer. Mm -hmm. And we will see you guys next week. All right. um, Do either one of you want to pray? You guys can take it. Oh, Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I just want to thank you for this this time. I want to thank you for um, your grace, your mercy, um, what you did on the cross for us, Lord. Um, I thank you for these two young ladies and uh, having us and blessing us with the opportunity just to share our love for you and our testimonies of how you've impacted our life. And Lord, I just pray that you will continue to bless them and you will just continue to move in throughout our lives and just let your glory be seen, that you can shine through us, less of us and more of you. And I ask for all this and your powerful, mighty name. Amen. Amen. And I did want to do something just a little different since the nature of this episode is something that people do struggle with and deal with. Um, here is the hotline for help if you struggle with addiction. Um, it is 1-800-662-4357. If you need help, please reach out, get help. All or right. just ask for help from or Jesus and he yes. will help you. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you guys next week.